0: Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm excited. Excited for this morning. I think God has a, a special word that He wants to share with our house. Um, as I've been praying and preparing, um, something came to me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was actually at a circle uh, that we have uh, that was wrapping up in the, in the spring, and we were studying the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews 11, it's, it's called the Hall of Faith. Uh, if you've never read Hebrews 11, there's story after story of, of person after person in, in that particular passage of scripture where God just continues to move in a mighty way in their lives. And as I was reading through those passages of scripture, it became evident to me and, and God was kind of revealing to me that that faith is tied to reputation and legacy and really the purpose that God has for us. And so I want to take some time and, and dive in this morning Uh, Because those people in that hall of faith, I think we we tend to maybe put them on a pedestal and maybe look at them like they're superheroes uh, and not normal people. But these are normal people. They are people like Abraham and Sarah that were dealing with infertility, struggles in their marriage, conflict. They were people like Moses who was born into racism and genocide. People like David who had people out to kill him. People like Abel who were murdered. And so I think there's hope and there's there's purpose in looking at their stories and looking at the practical application of how those people worked out their faith and what made them worthy of the Hall of Faith and maybe what we can take from their stories if we're looking to our reputation and our legacy and what might make us eligible for the hall of faith. And so I want to pray, invite the Holy Spirit in and get out of the way and let God do his work this morning. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I'm so thankful that you have spoken a word to our church and and it's already prepared, that you have something specific and unique for both each of us individually and collectively, our church community as a whole. And I'm so thankful for the worship and the atmosphere that you've created and the presence that you've provided for us to dive into scripture, get excited about your word, what it says and the implications that it has for our life. So God, we just ask right now that you come, you have your way, not by my might or power, but by your spirit, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 I, I, I think the passage from Hebrews that really stuck out to me as we're reading about all of these people that were committed to a relationship with God, but in the midst of that experiencing their own struggles and turmoil was a passage from Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13. It says, All these people died while still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city For them. I love this idea that they were looking forward to what was to come, not stuck in their momentary situation or circumstance. They had their hearts tied to a heavenly homeland. And so what I want to do is maybe dig into maybe a little bit more emotional book of the Bible. Uh, In my quiet time, I've been really intent on digging into either the Psalms or Proverbs almost every single day. And in that, I think we see so many authors confess what we maybe would keep hidden or not want to delve into or maybe not reveal and open our souls up to quite so often or with other people around. But yet this this tension, this struggle that we see in the Psalms, I think is what leads these people in the hall of faith to being so recognized and so inspired. In, In Psalm 22... Verses one through five, David says this, "'My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? "'Why are you so far away when I groan for help? "'Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. "'Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. "'Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel.'" Our ancestors trusted in you and rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. As I was working through these psalms and, and sort of exploring the tension of this faith-filled life and what that means, I came across this really powerful word, this really powerful three-letter word that, that everything seems to shift on. And that word is yet. Yet. Yet seems like a simple word. And if we can go to grammar school for just five seconds, I'm a teacher, so humor me, right? Yet is what's known in the English language as a coordinating conjunction. And and when I saw this yet, I I loved the power in this word, not only in what it means, but really its form and function. Because it's such a Bible thing to look at this word and recognize it for what it means. It, It takes what comes before it And it says that's just as equal and important as what comes after it. And and so what we see here in the scriptures is David living in this tension of, of God. Have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away? How come you're not answering me? The Bible values those feelings. It speaks to David's heart and it says, that's important how you feel. I'm recognizing what you're going through, where you're at with your circumstance, with your situation. Yet, there's a whole other side to that. There are are two elements that we're joining together by that word. And one of them is the character of God. David finds in his situation and circumstance a revelation of who God is, and it gets him to the other side of yet. And I think that as we march through some of these scriptures, God has something for each one of us that no matter where we're at or what we're feeling or where our situation or circumstance has us right now, there is a revelation of God and who he is and another side of yet for us. And, and where we go in our life journey and our faith journey determines how much we lean to one side or the other of that yet. Because both are valuable. Both are important. Both have meaning and matter. But we all know, right, that, that usually on the side, on the other side of a coordinated conjunction, and our, our favorite one to use with people in conversation is but, is that the second thing that is said really kind of matters a little bit more than the first thing? I love you, but, okay, well, whatever you just said, right? The second half of that is maybe going to mean something more to me than the first. And so what we have to recognize as, as children of God, as, as carriers of the Holy Spirit, is that our feelings, our situations, our circumstances, they have value. yet, what I know to be true about God matters just. A little bit more. And so I want to encourage us. I think that it's really powerful that David speaks in this first verse to his feelings of abandonment and God being distant and quiet and silent. Not yet you're present, but yet you're holy. David speaks to God's faithfulness. When he's speaking about God being holy, he's saying you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are faithful and true. I might not feel it, yet I know that you are just as holy and just as worthy and just as present as you've always been, no matter how I feel right now in this situation and circumstance. I think it's interesting if we take a look at these three things. David is feeling abandoned and so far from God and calling out to him. Every night he's lifting his voice. And I think there's some practical things that we can take here and we can apply to our lives. I wonder if in this particular moment with God, David is feeling stuck because he might need to go back to what God said before and walk that out. And what I mean by that is this. Sometimes we get ahead of God. Sometimes we start to essentially mistake his patience as silence. And he's waiting for us to go back and revisit what he last said and walk in that instead of walking ahead of him and acting like what we know or what we intend or what we wanna do is really what's meant to be accomplished. I think a, like a practical handle for this, if you're not journaling, is to journal. Because what are we reading right now? Yes, it's Psalm 22. But it's David's journaling. Like he felt the need to grapple with this in writing, to write down how I felt and what his writing led him to, what his journaling led him to, was a place where he remembered and looked back to who God had been in his life. Because at this point in his his life, David has seen God come through. He's been anointed as king, And yes, there was some waiting and some patience to his appointing as king, but there was also his faithfulness with Goliath and his faithfulness in in Saul's kingdom when he knows he's meant to be king, and yet someone else is sitting on the throne. And yet, here we see him not feeling it. You know, I've felt it before, God, but why don't I feel it now? Maybe it's something that has been placed between You and God. Maybe a practical handle here is fasting. Maybe you don't need more of God's voice. Maybe you need less of everyone else's voice. So, why are you holy? You're holy because you're faithful. You're true to who you are. You're working out my salvation in me. You're the the author and the finisher. You're for me, not against me. You have a plan and a hope and a future for me. And so, no matter what I'm feeling, I know you're faithful. I know my situation or circumstance doesn't affect your holiness, doesn't affect who God is. I love this idea of his ancestors trusted in you, and, he, and they were rescued. Can I just encourage you, circle Sunday. You know? I, if, if anything comes out of today, get involved with a circle because you can get around people that maybe aren't your ancestors, but are people that have seen God's faithfulness over and over again, and so when you're sitting there in the circle and you're saying, I feel abandoned, I feel like God is so far away, I feel like I'm just getting the silent treatment right now, someone can come alongside you and say, hey, he's been faithful before, he's gonna be faithful again. How can I pray with you? How can I stand with you? You're not meant to do this life alone. I think we see this tension continue in in Psalm 73. This is Asaph talking. He says, Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, God. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. I think it's an interesting statement here that in the tension of Asaph working out his faith, he realizes that he's looking at everyone else, and what is the result of looking at everyone else instead of looking to his God? It's a root of bitterness that grows up in his heart, and he recognizes it as foolishness, and he, he comes back to the Lord and says, yet I still belong to you. And what that tells me is that Asaph is recognizing that his identity is directly tied to his glorious destiny. It says right there in verse 24, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. What I I mean by that is that you are most like who you're meant to be in the environment in which you were created to exist. And, and, And let me flesh that out for you. If you go back to Genesis, when God wants to create plants, he speaks to the land. When God wants to create fish, he speaks to the water. When God wants to create humans, he speaks to himself. You were meant to exist with your heart hidden in the Father. And and aside from the identity that's found in him, you will never walk in the complete fullness of your glorious destiny. Your heart is either going to be fueled by bitterness or by the strength of the Lord. And what do we call that post-resurrection? We call it the power of the Holy Spirit. The author says, not by my might or power, but by your spirit. Jesus says we're meant to have life to the full. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. How does he kill and destroy? Well, in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up inside of you. What will a heart of bitterness do? It will poison you and it will kill you. It is from the enemy. So when you are looking at everything else except for the Holy Spirit and guidance and counsel from him, you're never going to find what you're looking for. He is fruitful. How is he fruitful? He's fruitful through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Because a secure identity in the Lord keeps me from being trapped in comparison and looking at all of these people. Oh my gosh, they're riches, and they're this, and they're that, and how could they, and why do they get to, and how come I have to? No, 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 no. I have to be careful with where my eyes are wandering so that I'm not trapped in comparison and so that bitterness doesn't take hold and I never accomplish that which God set apart for me to do from the beginning of time. I have to eliminate avenues of comparison. This is a lesson for me. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive. That's like fighting words, right? And if you're not good at taking captives, maybe you shouldn't go into that battle. And, and, and this is as much for me as anybody else. If I'm not good at taking thoughts captive in a certain area, maybe I shouldn't go to that area. Maybe I'm not meant to walk in my purpose in that place. I need to stay out of the battles. I'm not good at fighting. In Psalm 49, we see this tension, this back and forth, this life of faith living out, 49, verse through I listen carefully to many Proverbs and solve riddles with inspiration from a heart. Why should I fear when trouble comes, when enemies surround me? They trust in their wealth and boast of great riches, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. I think we can get convinced sometimes, at least this is definitely a struggle for me, that I have to do something on behalf of God to make myself right with him. And I can't do that. I'm not meant to do that. I cannot redeem myself from death. There is no ransom. I can conjure up and, and, and fix or navigate. And so what we see here is the authors, the sons of Korah, in this particular psalm, two things that I think are so subtle but so important and significant. I listen carefully and with inspiration from the heart. I need discernment and I need God's spirit because. I'm not meant to trust in riches or success or recognition. I'm meant to trust in the wisdom of Scripture and the inspiration of God. Because when I'm not doing those, I am tending to sort of strive in my own strength and and white-knuckle it through life. And sometimes we think that this gift from God is an add-on. It's it's a power-up. And that's not at all what it is. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You see, God gave this law to Moses. It was ten commandments. We're always very familiar with this. There's movies. It's very popular in popular culture. Ten Commandments. You know what man did with that? By the time the Pharisees had worked out those Ten Commandments, there were 613 pharisaical laws. We do this thing in our strength where we go, you know, God said, take my yoke upon you. But what he really meant was, if you do this and this and this and this and this, then you're okay. And, and, and we do that in our own strength. We fool ourselves. We trick ourselves to believing that we can't possibly just accept His burden. There's got to be more to it than that. It can't just be grace, it's got to be grace plus. Knowing that there's only one way to God through Jesus can either be a tremendous relief or it can seem like an impossible task we at times make the free gift of god seem like an impossible effort that we keep piling on to everything else that we're trying to bear and we're bearing all these burdens and we're carrying all these situations and circumstances and feelings and we're like all right let me get the grace of god up here Ugh. and that was never meant to be the way we lived he's he's just it's it's his wisdom over my striving he is righteous There is no fault in him when he says, take my way. It implicitly means, don't take your way. Let that go. Move forward with me. We're not meant to get right with God by trusting in him plus keeping the law. Psalm 3, 1 through 6, as we move forward, more David here wrestling with his faith. Oh, Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. How crazy that you could be in a place where you feel like wave after wave of enemy is coming at me and pursuing me and saying all sorts of things about me, the weight that must be on you, and yet I wake up in safety for the Lord is watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies. I love that in this particular passage, David speaks to the safety found in God. In his presence, there is peace no matter what surrounds me. But you, O Lord, are a shield. I love this this symbolism because it, it speaks to the fight that you're in, but it also speaks to where God places himself in that fight. God is seeking to place himself between you and your situation and circumstance and shield you in a way that makes you feel safe and secure. I love that Paul in Ephesians talks about a shield as well. And what does he say that's meant to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked? It's a shield of faith. Of faith. Of, Of being able to stand firm and live on the other side of yet. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. It may feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I find safety, peace, and comfort in looking to my God instead of looking at my enemies. I can't have my eyes on two things at once. I have to make a decision. Where is my help coming from? Where am I looking to? Am I looking to God, the one who holds my head high? Or am I letting my head fall and looking at my situation or my circumstance? In his presence, there is peace no matter what surrounds me. This is why I have to fight for his presence. And I think this is a good point to point this out. While I've, well, we're a couple points away from sort of this wrestling journey of what faith looks like as we work it out and what lo- living on the other side of yet feels like, I think it's important to recognize that, that this wrestling, that these conversations, that these are happening in real relationship with God. I, I, I can't, no Sunday morning service, no, no whole group experience, no circle, even though they are absolutely essential and powerful and supportive and encouraging, will replace the individual time that you have with God. It, it can't. And I've heard it said this way and I thought it was beautifully expressed. Have you ever gone to a party with your friend but it's your friend's friends and then they have to leave and they get called out of the room and then you're sitting there around your friend's friends and you feel the awkwardness and the tension because you're in a party, you're in relationship and community but you don't know anybody? I think a lot of times for for us as believers, Sunday morning can be that. Where we come to church with our friend and, and we experience God and we feel comfortable with Him because we 're in the presence of our friends and our, our earthly relationships, and yet we get into relationship with Him in the secret place one-on-one, and we shut the door, and it's like, what do we talk about? I, I was just hanging out with my, my friends on Sunday. It's just you and me. Where do I go from here? And, and yet... What we're seeing here in in these conversations, in these journaling moments, in these windows to the soul of these people is an opportunity for them to connect with Jesus, connect with God, get revelation about who he is, have themselves opened up and honest. And I'm sure there was some tears and there was some of those heavy, you know, those those cries, you know, like some some real moments with God. And this real tension that exists, this is important to how I feel. God, this is real. This circumstance. Why so many enemies? Can I not do anything right? If one more person walks into my office and says, dot, dot, dot. Yet you are holy. Yet you are worthy. Yet I am secure in you. Yet your wisdom over my striving. Yet, safety in your presence. Psalm 27. This has become a bit of a life verse for me. 27, 11 through 14. This is just good. David just put some pen to paper and made made something happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done, and with every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. I've heard it said this way, it's easier to stay prepared than get prepared. If you're in relationship with the Lord, if you're seeking that other side of yet, then day by day, small little commitments matter. That's why you brush your teeth once 30 times a month instead of you know, 30 minutes once, once a month. Little steps of faith, little deposits, little consistent moments help you stay prepared. And can I just encourage you Make your patient waiting productive because he is in the waiting. David says here, this whole thing begins with teach me and lead me. Prepared people are patient people. Prepared people are teachable people. I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Why? Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for him. I need to be twice as patient as I am courageous. And can I say it this way? In in the fruit of the spirit, you don't find courage. You do find patience. I need twice as much of God's spirit as I do of my courageous striving. Not the other way around. Sometimes we think if I put in the effort and I hustle and I check all the boxes and I do all this stuff, then maybe God will show up. And no, I need to, God, I need you to show up. God, I need you to show up. God, I need to invest in spirit. I need to spend time with you. And then when the time comes, I'll be a little brave and courageous. Then I'm going to run back to you. I'm going to trust and be patient in you. He's intimate. His goodness is revealed in your patient Courage. If you want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, then it's patient courage. Twice as teachable as I am brave and courageous. Psalm 119, so the longest psalm in the Bible. Talks about God's law, about the beauty of his word. 119 verse 140, it says, Your promise is... Is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous and forever. Give me understanding that I may live. I think this is really important at moments where you feel your are smallest, at moments where you feel your are most insignificant, at moments where you feel despised and neglected and like you couldn't find a friend in the world, you can return to his word. His promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Can I, can I give you some encouragement? The well tried promise precedes the love of God's word. There is an appetite that has to develop inside of you for righteousness. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You don't know to hunger and thirst after something you don't know exists. And you have to develop an appetite for that thing before you can develop a hunger or a craving for it. And that's difficult because God's word is offensive. Like, it, it confronts us to the very being of who we are at times, and that's uncomfortable. Timothy says it, uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul says this, that Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Who likes that stuff? Nobody. Nobody likes to hear that they're wrong. Nobody likes to be rebuked or corrected. Nobody likes to be examined and found out to know that you didn't have all the right answers or you weren't okay or you didn't have it figured out, I might not feel big or valuable or liked, but when I return to God's word, I'm returning to what's true. And what's true is that he's enough. In any situation or circumstance, despite any feeling or any, anything that's come upon me, I'm never worse off trusting in God's forever truth over my momentary understanding. And so while the author kind of pangs that, yes, I, I feel small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure your promises are well tried. I'm going to plant myself in your word. This is why we say at our church, give us a year and go all in. This is why we talk about, hey, show up every Sunday, get on a serve team, join some circles, get in community with people. It's because you have to well try his promises. God says in Malachi, put me to the test. Now, that's about tithing in particular in the context of that passage. But I would argue that we serve a God that's standing at the door and knocking. And if you let him in, he will come in. He will build relationship with you. But it has to be well tried. God's word is an acquired taste, but it's something that God invites us into. He says it, taste and see that I am good. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. I might not feel it in a particular moment. It might not seem to be going my way, but I think this is another way to say it. We must accept not understanding everything in the moment but never lose hope that God is enough for me in the midst of any situation. Our last passage that we're we're in here is in Habakkuk. So we're departing the Psalms. We're heading heading to the, the minor prophets here. This is is where the enemy even starts to, and we see this in Jesus' ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus starts to wrestle with with the enemy, and Satan even tries to turn God's word against him. The enemy starts using some coordinating conjunctions here in Habakkuk. He he wants to get in on the party, even though, chapter 3, verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. I love that in Habakkuk's wonderings about what is going on. Everything is going wrong. The fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines. The olive crop has failed, and the fields lie empty and barren. The flocks have died in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. God, what are you doing? You seem absent, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Why? Because He's sovereign. The sovereign Lord is my strength. What can I know? Is that everything is under submission to Him. He is in control. I say it this way He's got a plan. He's created and equipped you to overcome the adversity that you face. Habakkuk says it this way. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer. I have been uniquely positioned and equipped to handle the circumstance and situation I have found myself in by the power of the Spirit of God. And I know that no matter what I see around me, he is sovereign. He is in control. It's as old as Daniel and the lions, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They, They say, we're not going to bow to the idol. Throw us in the fire. Because we believe that God is in the fire with us. But even if he's not, we've got our gaze on a heavenly homeland. We're living on the other side of yet. And so this situation, this circumstance, it might look bleak. Everything around me might seem dead. Everybody around me might be looking the other direction. But God's got a plan. You know, I had a a friend this week share a story with me. And, um it just resonated with me very deeply and I I think connected with this point. Um, There's an old hymn, an old hymn. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard it. You can listen to it on the way home if, if you've never done it before. It's very moving and it's called It Is Well With My Soul. It's a beautiful hymn. And it came out of a very difficult situation and circumstance The author of it as well with my soul is Horatio Spafford. He's on the left there. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor in Chicago. The world was his oyster. And in 1871, the great Chicago fire ravaged through the city, burning everything that he owned to the ground. He lost all of his his investments and his practice. And around that time... His four-year-old son also passed away because of scarlet fever. Thinking that a vacation would help his family, his wife and his four little daughters there, he bought them a ticket on a boat to England. He was excited for them to get away and just get some distance from all of the despair that had overcome their family. However, while crossing the Atlantic, uh, their ship collided with another ship. And sunk. Over 200 people were killed, including all four of his daughters. He came home one day to a telegram from his wife saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? So he hopped on a boat and he went to go get his wife in England. During the voyage, the, the captain of the ship where they were going over had heard about this tragic news and that Horatio had lost what seemed like to be so much so quickly and pointed out so that he could remember his daughters where the accident and the tragedy had occurred and where the ship had sunk in the water. And as Horatio thought about his daughters and and wept and mourned over them, he put pen to paper and he wrote, "'When peace like a river attendeth my way, "'when sorrows like sea billows roll,' Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't know where you're at. I know where I'm at. (laughs) And every once in a while, the situations and the circumstances and the trials and the emotions and the feelings, they get to you things feel overwhelming or God feels distant or you don't understand why this thing is happening and I don't know that for every single thing we'll ever get an answer but I know that he's got a plan and I know that the promise in scripture is that God is working out all things towards the good of those who love him he is a redeemer God nothing is wasted in his hand even unspeakable tragedy and so how do we reconcile all of this i could try but i think paul does a much better job in romans 5 therefore since we have been made right in god's sight by faith we have peace with god because of what jesus christ our lord has done for us because of our faith christ has brought us to this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He wraps it up in verse 11 saying this, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. If I could boil down today to anything, I would say this. God desires friendship with you. And that friendship can go as deeply and and become as beautiful as you want it to be. But I know that God desires for it to have depth and to be beautiful and meaningful. And so the next time your situation or circumstance or trial has got you feeling one way, maybe you can take a practical handle and Lean into the relationship that is available to you with the Father through the power of the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. And remember that He's holy. He's faithful. He's fruitful. He's just. He's a redeemer. He's safe. He's peace. He's good. He's enough. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. I can, I can wrestle with my feelings and they're important and significant and the situation is not to be taken lightly yet. God. Yet God. So I want to invite our worship team up. I, I think that what started in... Our our home team service, God wants to continue, and I want to make space for that today, for us to just respond in worship, to, to go deeper with him, to grow in our relationship, because I think what the Holy Spirit would have for us today is for each of us to leave with a deeper friendship with the Father today, one that's accessible through Jesus. And if you've never said yes to Jesus before, then I wanna make space for you to have a conversation with him right now as we worship and we lift him up, knowing that I might feel surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him, by him. Let me pray for us, and then we can stand to our feet. And worship. God, I just thank you so much for your spirit. I thank you so much for your sacrifice through Jesus on the cross and the relationship that we're meant to have with you and the beautiful fruit that can be produced as a result of that relationship. That we have hope that doesn't lead to disappointment. That we can live on the other side of yet as faith-filled people. God, help us help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us to hope in you help us to be worthy of the call that you have on our lives it's in jesus name that we pray amen thank you so much for joining us on the local city podcast i want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart let jesus do the deep work that only he can do a special thank you to everyone who gives to local city church Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.